Hey, you got Frank from Sniper's Hide here and I'm at the Precision Rifle Expo in Blakely, Georgia and I have a special everyday sniper podcast for you. I am sitting down with the person who needs no introduction, Mr. David Tubb, and we're gonna talk about what David has going on, his Tubb Adaptive Rifle, all the different projects he's working on, his new XC bullets, uh, the nose ring stuff, anything he wants to talk about. We're just gonna have a conversation. David, thank you very much for being on the Everyday Sniper Podcast. This is awesome. Frank, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. We all had a good time down here at, uh, at, this, at this event, and uh, we got to debut some stuff that we've been working on. Yep. And as you know, we've got the, you know, the, the adaptive target rifle, which is a multi-caliber rifle. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really like nothing else out there because it doesn't use guard screws. stress-free. You can shoot three different bolt heads, standard magnum and Lapua. Uh, and so you got a wide range of calibers, uh, and you know this this rifle has what we call 17 years of design improvement over the last Tub 2000 rifle. Right. And uh, it, it's just uh, it's just a pleasure to use, and it's a pleasure to see people shoot little one inch, two inch, and three inch tall groups. Well, they, they over the Ailer 88. We added a thousand, and they never shot it. And it's like they three shot groups, of course. Right. You know? Right. But it's like, holy smokes, you know. And, and it does have the record for the world record event. That's correct. Right. It, it, so it concurrently holds the uh, ELR Cold Bore three shots at 2021 or whatever it was. Right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And not only that, he, he did it every time. So That's right. morning and afternoon. It's not like he walked it in and made a mistake in the morning and came That's back right. and fixed it in the afternoon. No. Three for three, three for three, three. again. Absolutely. Done deal. So. so that was that rifle. So. Yeah. And, oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say you're. We're, sorry, we're we're messing with the air conditioning. It's so hot out here and humidity, so we're trying to fire up the air conditionings and stuff. You guys might hear the air conditioning a little bit, but I'll cut it out. No worries. Yeah. But I mean, you're known for your accuracy and precision with all the records you hold. So this is an extension of that. It is. Yes. And, and you know, the fact is, is is you could shoot. You could take this adaptive target rifle and you could shoot an ELR match in the morning. Mm -hmm. You could shoot a PRS match in the afternoon. The zeros repeat. And and really, the idea behind the rifle the fact that you have one gun and you have let's say six barrels right you've got three bolt heads and when you wear your barrel out or you have a practice barrel you switch it you send the barrel extension back to the Quidden or the Bart line or the Krieger they put another barrel on right and they actually love you because there's no FFL paperwork there you go the, the paperwork is you need to pay your dang bill <laughs> there you go and, and that extension makes it easy and, and you're not dealing with torque settings and screws and things to that nature, so right. it, it it makes it simple. Sure. And and, and as, as you know, you know, I I obviously use a, a different reticle system mm -hmm. uh, that's very very useful for me. Right. Uh, and you know, with the new cartridge, the you know the old cartridge was the six XC, and and it's been very popular. We're about to have small primer and large rifle or large primer, excuse me, Peterson brass. Right. And the Norma brass. Uh, and then we've developed a 33 XC because I've seen everybody wildcat a 338 Lapua. Mm -hmm. And if you buy a 33 XC cases, a dreamer, or whatever, do it on whatever gun you're going to do it on, no more wildcat. Right, because Peterson's doing it, which is outstanding right. brass. Yes. So, and, and so this, this brass has approximately 125 grains powder capacity plus the neck. Okay. And so you'll use a slow burning powder with a 300 grain. Burger or Sierra, if you want it in a 33, okay. 38, and you can shoot it in a 20-inch grill. You can shoot it 3150, 3200 all day long. Nice. 
and that, speed. That gets you right down the road. So. I mean, especially when people are fighting with these these three thirty eight calibers, and they're lucky to get twenty eight fifty. That's right. And now you're pushing it to that three thousand feet per second. You're squeezing every ounce of performance out of that bullet versus you know basically putting in a, in, a, in a race with you know one leg tied behind its back. Sure. Sure. So, and, and for a long range hunting rifle, it's good. You know, you can take the adaptive target rifle and make it weigh 12 and a half, 13 pounds. Yep. And of course, it's a single shot because the case is pretty long. It really won't fit in any Lapua based uh, design. Right, right. right. just have the head, you know. And, uh, and then, of course, we necked it to 37, which is. You know, it works really well in 37 yes. also, so it I, gives you the option to go up. Didn't you shoot that, was it last year you shot the 375 variant? Yes, I did. Okay. But that was in a Lapua Improved. Right. And so this is actually quite a bit better. It's Basically, it's 100 or 120 feet per second faster. Okay. Uh, with very little powder charge. You know, we use H1000 in the 37 okay. diameter of this. And uh, it's very forgiving. You get SDs out here less than five all the time that set up and, and like I said the, the groups are phenomenal with the Warner you know, turn bullets the, yep, way the three, solids 360 odd but they all have a nose ring mm -hmm. we're talking about a nose ring you know obviously bullets they have a when they're drawn or made about a, 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 a hollow point bullet mm -hmm. if it's if it's got a little hole at the front of it and it's very even it's got a lack of a better word, the plat, yep. which is, is controlling how it's slowing down or the uniformity of how it slows down. Right. And uh, and many burgers or many bullets are made that way. And then they've come with the pointing or the closing the nose of them. And when you do that, then what you've done is you've actually, you've increased the VC, you've lessened the drag of the bullet. Yep. But you, you have variations there. Like if I pull five bullets out of a lot, good lot of bullets, and they're all closed nose from the factory, or you did it yourself, and shoot them over an Ailer 88 at 1,000, it's a very good chance that I'll get about a 30-point G1 spread, that'd be a 15-point G7 spread, between the high and the low. And of course, let's, tell, let's assume I launch them and I have the perfect SD. They all go 3,000 feet a second, so it's a zero SD yep. to start. But they all get down there at a little different speed if there's a 30-point variation. Exactly. We've been talking a lot with these guys about the fact they should be tuning these BCs to what they're shooting and not just taking what's off the box. And here you're talking about this 30-point uh, spread with, with a you know a high-performance bullet. Sure. They all look the same. Yes, that looks identical <laughs> yeah, and everything. And, and you're looking at that number specifically. And, and now we'll talk about like, because you've been running it here for tests. You've been showing people to test your nose ring mates. That's right. And so, and so we had the 30 point spread. Well, let's say you shot those five shots and they shot a six inch tall group at a thousand yards. And everybody goes, wow, that's really good. Yep. Well, when you put the nose ring on it, which is a little annular cut that's back of the, of the nose, let's say about 10%. And we actually have a tool now that will be a production tool. And, yep. but, uh, but when you do that and you shoot the same batch of bullets, over over the Ailer, the BC spread is less than 10 nice. G1 points or less than 5 G7. And so you took that six inch tall group and you reduced the height of it by a factor of three. Nice. You went from a 30 point to a 10 point. There you so go. So now, in essence, you went from a six inch tall group to a two inch tall group. And, and this is the awesome part is because we've been talking about that now bullets need to catch up. 
to all the accuracy we're squeezing out of the rifle system. And here you are taking all these different bullets and, and you're bringing them and tuning them. And so that's an outstanding thing. And one of the things I like with your tool that I mentioned as soon as I saw it, a guy can take a factory round and put it in the tool and not have to take it apart. He could, yes. And, and that product will probably not be on the market for about six months. I'm going to try to get it integrated into a bullet. Obviously, uh, Badlands Bullets and Warner are their license to make, sure. to make this. Of course, they're turning their bullets. so they're. But, uh, yeah, the solids. And, and the other thing to know is, yes, Sometimes you you make the nose ring and you lose a little BC. Let's say that I was going to shoot a 115 that had a 620 G1 thousand yard BC. Well, when I nose ring it, I knocked it to 610. Okay. Because right? I created a little, but the shape of, of the bullet, right. a little more, more drag. But that's why it's working because I created a uniform drag function. So, so it's consistent. So it's consistent. There you go. But, so, but anytime I can go from a six inch tall group to a two inch tall group, I'm all in. I don't care if I. And of course, a meat plat where they cut the end of the bullet square, mm -hmm. it will reduce typically the drag about 50 points right. on a G1, and it'd be 25 on a G7. But some bullets, let's just take uh, the Warner, the Warner low low drag profile bullet. It doesn't hurt the BC on it virtually at all. Nice. And like a new Sierra 27 caliber OGI bullet, it does it uniforms the drag, but it doesn't hurt the drag. There you go. And then you turn around and I've, the tests I've done, like I took a 105 Burger that doesn't have a closed nose, and if I closed the nose on it and then I nose ringed it, the BC went up about 25 G1 points. Wow, yeah, so you're so, making big changes. So that's those are all good changes. Yes. But, but the key is is the uniformity. Now, it's not to say that you couldn't have a bullet, and of course, people go, oh, plastic tip bullets, they all have very good uniformity, and they absolutely do. But and they go because it's the tips are all the same. Right. Well, that's really not it. It's the fact that there's a junction between the plastic tip and the bullet is a ring. Yes. Kind of like a nose ring. Yes. And then, so it creates a battery layer drag function. And guess what? Not only does it help the uniformity of the bullet through through the first supersonic portion of flight, but once it hits the transonic and subsonic, spun fast enough, mm -hmm. it helps it pass through there because. Subsonic bullet, subsonic bullet flight does not like pointy bullets. Okay. And so, actually, what you've done is you've you've taken the the nose ring and you've made, let's say, a larger drag, boundary layer drag function, and, and so it's working that way. And you played with the plastic tip bullets years ago, like when Hornaday made the changes and said the tips right. were being deformed and all that. You saw that and experimented with that and dismissed it, not dismissed, but. Basically said yes, this is the, a problem, and pushed it to the side, right. and went with your own design. Right. And I don't think people realize you were no. so far ahead with that. Yes, it, yeah, like eight years before Hornady came out with their ad campaign. Yes, I, Sierra was doing green tips, and I go, well, let's do a hundred and ten grain six mil green tip bullet. Man, that's be, ooh, I like that. You know, mm -hmm. they shot them in their tunnel at two or three hundred yards, and they look great. You shoot them over an ailer at a thousand. That bullet, when it got to the target, was like a 155 Palma bullet. There you go. It's like, oh, God, this is terrible. And that's why it didn't have your name on that's it back right. then. And, and, of course, you know, yeah. I, it saved me several hundred thousand bullets. Yes. You know, what am I going to do? Of course, if you shoot a plastic tip bullet at two or 300 yards, the tip's still in. It looks great. And it blows up and does fantastic. Yeah. You know, but I think you'll find that any plastic tip bullet shot at a mile or further, 
It's possibly suspect. That's yep. possible. Yes. There's definitely, and and you can see that where that ring is, and that's where you're creating that nose ring. And you were demonstrating that here for everybody, that, that just the gains and what was going on. And right. because you have that testing equipment, I mean, it's eye-opening for so sure. many people who've never been exposed to that, right. to, to actually and, sit down and see it. And, and, you know, I started, the nose ring came about because Robert Massey and I go baboon hunting every year. Mm -hmm. And if you shoot a baboon with a 115-frame DTAC bullet, it just kind of goes right, a lot of times it goes right through it. And I was looking for ballistic downrange performance, the bullet to blow up. Yep. And so we cut annular cuts on the bullet. And let's say we cut the jacket half in two. It's kind of like a plastic tip bullet right. idea. And it worked great. And then so I got the metalist messing with it and then shot him over the other. And I go, well, boy, you get your cake and eat it too. Now, the nose ring tool or the application that we'll do on a, a lead core bullet will only help the uniformity of the drag function. Okay. It will not make it a more lethal, well it won't, won't help very much in the way of making a more lethal bullet because we're kind of putting a scratch in in, in, right. in, in the bullet instead of a really a, a sideways plunge cut, but it gives you the same thing. It's going to give you uniform drag characteristics. And, and the thing that I think people should understand is you're giving them a noticeable difference from a layman's term where they don't have to have your sub quarter minute accuracy that is you to see it because you know they made me say well that's david and he shoots to you know to such a high degree of level he sees something before i do but this is big enough to be visible but small enough that it's been overlooked for so long right because what you'll see you know i never shoot at 100 yards right i shoot at 200 but my friend Paul Poindexter, he came up and I, he did some nose ring bullets. And he went and shot him. He goes, you can tell the difference in them in a hundred yards. Yes. And it's like, wow. And so that what that means, though, is the fact that that bullet is coming out of there and it's settling down quicker. Yep. And so that's why it's smaller groups. Much smaller groups. And like you said, your SDs are down. All their load development's easier. You're finding much more consistent numbers across the board with all of that. And, and, and you were telling me uh, yesterday that you know you're just reducing all this down it, it's getting better and and you know look for a standard factory production bullet to come that way very cool you know, in the near future very the cool. stuff doesn't happen overnight no no yeah. none of it does but i mean it, it, it's you're, you're pushing accuracy and precision that's obtainable by the everyman now it, and it's not something that you're you're, you're developing and hoarding and hiding hiding sure. just for you to succeed sure. You're making sure that everybody out there listening can succeed and have access to this in a pretty simple way when you look at it. I mean, you plug that nose ring tool into a into a power drill and you could take a bullet out of a box and put it in there. Sure. Now you've just, like you said, you've created a more uniform bullet for next to no effort. And, and you know, it, how do you beat that? That's right. Yeah, it's it's too simple. It's almost like you get your cake and eat it too. Yeah, and yeah. pie with a little Isla mode. There you go. <laughs> Uh, they may even uh, give you a glass of wine with it. I guess right. I guess you're supposed to have champagne with that's ice right. cream, but oh yeah. <laughs> and of course, you know, the, we, you and I haven't talked about rebated bow tails. I'm a firm believer in rebated yep. bow tails for a couple of reasons. One is is when I used to shoot across the course years and years ago at 600, we'd shoot 190 grain Sierras, and when they quit shooting in our 308s, we'd turn and go right to a Lapua 185 with a rebated bow tail. 
in a heartbeat the thing and start shooting again it, because it obturates yes. and closes off. It acts like a flat base bullet up to a large degree. And and I know uh, people explain that a little bit more for people and what he means by when it quits shooting. Where with the guys shooting the six millimeter PRS type stuff and things like that, they have so much barrel life. Well, instead of you know, say you get two thousand rounds, just around number eighteen to twenty four, whatever the case may be, but two thousand rounds. And you're starting to, you know, you're going to now change barrel. Well, it, if you go to this rebated boat tail, well, maybe you can go to that 24, 28 because you're getting a little bit more life out of your barrel without having to immediately swap it out because it's no longer accurate. And that's where the benefit of the of your six millimeter bullet is with that rebated boat tail. And not only that, but one time when we were monkey hunting, we could we had access to some suppressors, mm -hmm. and so I took a 660, and I. We're shooting the, the bullets. These were seven and a half twist barrels. Mm -hmm. And so I go, okay, so let me load some subsonic 6XE in. So I started with a 115 and I shot it. And of course it wasn't stable at a thousand, say at a thousand feet a second. Right, right. So then I go, okay, let's try 107. It wasn't stable. Let's try a 95 burger. It wasn't stable. So I end up shooting a hundred grain flat base bullet stable. So we went monkey hunt because we didn't want to disturb the baboons. So right. we could shoot these bourbon monkeys. Anyway. So, when I got back and I looked at the 308 subsonic stuff, when I was messing with some of my two-bullet duplex stuff, I, I got some of the uh, Lapua 200 grain, Xenar looking bullet. Yes, got yes. a blunt nose, but it's got a rebated bow tail. In there, mm -hmm. okay? And you look at all the data and everybody, and it shouldn't be stabilized out of a 12 twist gun. Okay, okay? subsonic. Right, right, definitely. Well, it is. It puts a round hole in a target. I shot some of it. And go, well, I'll be darned. So, lo and behold, some time later, when I went to the rebated 115 grain detect bullet, I go, I wonder if that rebated bow tail would make that 115 grain bullet, which was typically unstable as could be in a, in a subsonic, subsonic bullet, yep. what would I do? So, what I do? I loaded a couple up, shot a couple of the old ones, sure enough, they go through the target, not completely sideways, but they're Getting darn there. sure not stable, okay? Mm -hmm. Shot a few of the DTAC, the new DTAC rebated bow tails, freaking round hole. There you go. I go, oh my gosh. So a rebated bow tail somehow is stabilized even better. And so just think about the fact that now you've got a nose ring that lets you pass in the transonic subsonic. Much better. And now you got a rebated bow tail that also uh, amplifies or, uh, I'm not sure what the word, helps per se that then you actually really may have something right. that is is lights out that's ice cream with your pie right there because right. you know you put these two things together and that's and right. you've and you've got a much better recipe solution for success in yes. a variety of situations that's right and I, th I think that that's absolutely uh could absolutely change stuff mm -hmm. the way people look at it Yes, and and, and, and that I like it because it's our next progression. It's focus on the bullet. And I've told people a, a lot just in the conversation-wise, that becomes our weak link in this system because it's so mass-produced. It's only looked at so much. I mean, how many times do we see recalls on bullet batches? You know, hey, there's something wrong with that jacket. There's something wrong with the lead underneath. Give us all those back and we'll replace them. That, you know, millions of bullets are made and they're not checking them. But now you're, you're taking better elements and you're refining it down so we have bigger chance of success in our weakest link. Yes. And so I, I just think that's an awesome thing for people to realize that where you're going with that. And with so many people shooting six millimeter now, 
uh, that the way they are, whether it's a, a, a six Creed more, the six uh, XC is extremely popular in what they're doing. And then with some of the other stuff they're doing, the BRs, dashers and things like that, going to your bullet is giving them that little extra they're looking for, whether it be barrel life or performance, you know, without going too much money. Sure. Well, it's a very forgiving bullet. Yes. You know, that, 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 that's the whole idea. Mm -hmm. I want a bullet that shoots another 15 or 20 BC points is not going to make it. Yeah. So, and, and keep in mind, I think uh, when you shoot a 115 as opposed to some others, it uh, it likes to touch a little bit. Mm -hmm. So don't be scared to touch, you know, yep. per se. Load a little longer, touch that's, your lands. That's right. And you should get, you know, I, I think without doing any kind of throat maintenance or barrel maintenance on the interior of the bore, as you get stress cracking, I think you're going to find that you get at least another 500 rounds of active barrel out using a rebate boat tank. That's huge. Or, or if it goes, you're going to quit shooting, you're shooting 105 or 107 somethings, try some of them. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah, so if you're so, used to that load right. and it starts quitting, then move forward and see what happens. But the biggest deal is be sure that you've got a reamer, a 660 reamer or whatever reamer you're using, if you're going to shoot a 115 D-tag that's got about 160 thousandths of straight section and okay. a one and a half degree lead, I like a 278 neck because I don't want to have too tight a neck because you're going to get some carbon buildup mm -hmm. and you're going to change your pressure, internal pressure, if you've got with well, a bullet that can't get loose because the neck won't expand because the carbon's built. Right, right. Uh, so that all being said, uh, you know, a little extra barrel life, that's really a good thing. And of course, you're shooting steel targets and, and it's hard to define or hard to describe sometimes that the fact that 10% more lead from a 105 to 115 is significantly more impact visible at their certain target. Right, so, so now it's going to set off the sensors, you're going to see the hit right. better, and it's not a case of did I catch it, did I miss it, and, the, and it, it's easier on the RO, because there's a lot of arguments with points in PRS type of right. shooting, because the six millimeters are so small and light yes. that an uneducated spotter who volunteered to be a range officer on that stage is missing it yes you're little I agree. right your little extra little extra behind it right. helps them see it now you're guaranteed your points because it's going to set off the flashers it's going to be visible for the spotter and and so you right. may get a point or two yeah. over it but if you get the straight section at 160 and a one after relead with a 6xe or any of this you still can shoot your 105 green bullets mm -hmm. you just can be seen a little further out but you know, with a 6XC, like if you turn back around and you look, let's say a 6x47, a great caliber, yep. small primer, okay? Mm -hmm. A 6XC is a 6x48. Okay. It's 25,000 longer. The Creedmoors are 6x50s. They're 50,000 longer. There you go. Well, if you got a 2.85 mag box and you're trying to seat this bullet appropriately in front of the next shoulder junction, you're running out of room. Right, you want to step five. down. You need to step down. So in reality, a truly a 6x47 or a 6 xc is a better choice because you get 50 thousandths more movement or more room in your mag box. There you go. And you're really not gaining any more velocity. You're using more powder and more powder you use a little bit shorter barrel life. No yep. doubt about it. So that's what it is. <laughs> now, the brass from Peterson and of course the normal brass, it's fantastic brass. Yes. It's kind of like the 33XC brass if you're shooting the 33XC and your primer pockets are getting loose, 
your load pressures are greater than 87,000 PSI. That's huge. So you need to kind of back <laughs> yeah, yeah, it down yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, if you're blowing so, them out, you got an issue. That's right. If you're go back to go back to school, loose. get a little bit of education on your reloads. That's right. But I mean, so. it's awesome that I mean Peterson is stepping up huge, and that you've partnered with them to, to bring this to the market. I think is a big thing. I mean, I'm seeing Peterson brass everywhere. It, everyone's just raving about it, and and like you said, now. You're, you're taking all this stuff and it's no longer a wildcat. That's it's right. off the shelf. All you gotta do is get your chamber cut and you're golden. Right. And, and you know, I use, I, I used to use Hugh Henriksen a lot. I love you, use a little slow. Mm -hmm. Dave Manson, he's got the current Reamer print. There's about a dozen Reamer prints on the market that's got my name on it that I didn't put my name on. Okay. So if you're gonna order a 660 Reamer, order from Dave Manson. He's got the good specs. Okay. Uh, and the, you know, there's some of this 6XT, 6XC, stuff out the 660 2 excuse me and in reality we never ever had any issues with that and of course because we've only ever made one resizing die for a 660 made out of a7 tool steel right and with integral neck shoulder bushings not just the neck bushing and it's it, which is a better mousetrap again mm -hmm. I, think I use mousetrap a lot but Keep in mind that I think, and obviously polish your chamber. When I polish all my chambers with 320 okay. once they're cut. Uh, and you should have zero extraction issues with not only the 6XC. Oh, I, I was going to say the 6XC stood for across the course. Mm -hmm. There was shot standing, prone, sitting, yep. rapid fire. Well, the new 33XC stands for extra capacity. There you go. Derek Peterson came up with that. I go, that sounds great. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> I mean, because you've been going to, like I said, the world record event, the King of Two Mile. You've been participating on all of them since the beginning. And because it's a natural extension with that rifle system that you put together, right. and and you know combine it with your reticle like you mentioned earlier, uh, j just to sort of back up a little bit to go on to the reticle system. One of the things because I try to pay attention when when I show up to these events and whether I'm just being there as media or I road or whatever the case may be, I'm looking at different people's win strategies in a lot of ways. You're pure miles an hour. Yes. You're talking to either, they're either talking to you or you're talking to like Nate or your daughter and, and it's in pure miles an hour and you're just calling that win that way so you're not trying to translate that number and that's built into your reticle. So when everyone's looking at it that it's just pure miles an hour, you're, you're, you're okay it's four, four, six, four, six and you're calling it that way which so simplifies the process so if there's somebody out there listening who doesn't want to go into these, you know, twice removed steps, right. and they just want to talk in that miles per hour, your system is the solution for that. Sure. They get the rifle that's paired with the scope. Sure. We're talking in the most simplistic terms. The rifle takes care of everything, like you said, from six millimeter up to your 33 and 37 XC, and it's a done deal. They don't have to go and start chasing, well, I'm gonna start using this, what do I do next? If you, if you think about it logically, you measure your target distance in yards or meters, mm -hmm. why on earth would you change it to a mill or an MOA hold? Right. Why not hold a corrected value of yards and meters because of the atmospherics? Based on your density altitude. That's right. Yep. And then you call the wind in miles per hour, why would you change it to a mill or an MOA hold? Why not call it a vector corrected angle in miles per hour? So you're working in the same terminology all the time. And the other thing is, is when you're doing that and you're working your way out and you shot this target, let's say you held five miles an hour on it and it was at, at north, north and it was 700 yards and now a target approaches or the next target's 900 yards away, 
you, you don't, if you use mill to rim away, I held a mill of wind on this, I got a mill and a half on this. Well, if you held five miles an hour in my little setup mm -hmm. at 700, you got to hold five miles an hour at 900. Right, because it's it like, didn't change the wind speed, you just changed the distance and the angle, or maybe right. not even the angle, but say right. the distance. So you're not trying to say, okay, like you said, it's point sure. this for seven, add X more for point sure. for nine. And, and keep in mind, you know, the, my reticles have, have the IP for gyroscopically corrected bullet line. Mm -hmm. so that means that the square crosshair is really only good at one distance and one wind line. Yep. Because you've got, you have a parabolic curve going down for, because the bullet's mm -hmm. spinning, it's moving a little bit right. And then when the wind's blowing, you got not only it's moving your right and left, it's lifting you or making you fall right now. And, and it's enough difference at certain ranges with the wind that you'll shoot over or under a target, even if you call the wind right. Yes. So. Yeah. And when we start to see it go up, we see it on our range where, where it works. And now you we're over that 12 miles an hour and also in the verticals start playing. I just shot a Guardian in Tennessee and I was using a Valkyrie. And when I got the ammo, uh, it was a Friday, so Monday I went to my range to dope the rifle to take the Tennessee on the, that next Friday. Well, it was 18 to 24 mile an hour winds out here in Colorado, and then I come down to Tennessee and it's nothing. Well, I'm two tenths off at right. 400 yards, 500 yards in elevation. I had to actually re-dope the rifle because the conditions weren't proper for me to dope that in 18 sure. to 24. And that was the vertical problem. Sure. And, and that's exactly what you're talking about, is right. fixing that vertical. And, and when you see that in the scope, you figure out, okay, if I got a 10 mile an hour right hand winner and I'm sighting in at 200 yards, I need, it, this gun's gonna shoot a click high. Yeah. It needs to be, I need to be holding this thought because when it's zero, it's came, that came down a came tenth down. of a mil. Yeah, it's yeah. like, wow, that's that's pretty big. I was I was 0.8 with that little uh, 5.56. I was 0.8 of windage off at 100 yards when I switched locations yep. because it was that much on my range. Sure. And then going down to Tennessee, it was nothing. So not only did I have to fix my windage zero, I had to fix my elevation dope, right. and I had to recalculate everything on the fly just because my conditions were here. Well, having shot, you know, I have a little range that's at 500 yards. Mm -hmm. That that's what we call the crosswind jump range, and. So it's, the targets are at 30 degree increments, like one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. Mm -hmm. So if you variably, if you, and of course the Coriolis effect on a bullet at 500 is about the size of your little fingernail, so it's kind of negligible. But if you take somebody out and let them shoot, you shoot a LaRue target that's half black, half white, say at 500, into the wind or with the wind, and, and they get printing right there and they shoot two or three shots, and then you move them and let them shoot directly full value wind, so that would be- uh, The three o'clock or- 100, yeah. Yeah, be 120 degrees, is that right? Yeah. Be 90 degrees. Okay. Be 90 degrees. And so they, they'll say the wind's blowing right, left to right, so they're gonna shoot, and say it's 10, 12, 15 mile an hour wind, they're gonna shoot two or three inches low at 500, and they immediately go over and shoot the target with a right to left wind, they're immediately gonna shoot high two or three inches. Yeah. So at 500 yards, it's not inconceivable to get a five or six inch vertical change from a full value right hand wind to a full value left hand wind. And that is a big number at 500 yards. Yes, and now one question, we talked about this years ago when you were looking at it. When we look at the, the wind rows, the clock system, exactly what you're saying with the wind, you were saying you were starting to see, and I don't know if that changed in so much, I'm gonna follow up, Right. that, so a three o'clock full value, but you were starting to see like a 230 had a little right. bit more effect because of the angle it, of the bullet. Is that still I, something? I, I still think of that. Think, think about steering a boat into the uh, into the water 
Mm -hmm. you know, and if the tip of the bullet's getting steered a little bit, yep. you know, it's, it's easier to move the bullet right or left or move the boat right or left if you start, you don't push sideways on the boat. Right. You steer the, the nose of them. So so in my opinion, yes, they, a 230-ish or a 430-ish, I'm sorry, a 330-ish wind will have just as much value as a full value. Right. Possibly because, more, but it's very hard to discern all that, but yes. Yes, because wind is such a, but, uh, uh, and, and to me, I mean, the, the common sense factor, like you said, with the boat is so big, and we're probably going back three years now that okay. you and I were talking about That's it, right. if not more. Right. I mean, you start to lose a little track of time. But it made so much sense to me exactly what you were saying, and, and we deal with, because of where you are in Texas and where I am in Colorado, we deal with so much wind yes. that we do start to see it. So it's it's always that that. 30 angle it's just off enough it's not a full value nine o'clock or three o'clock like for me it's 8 30 is my more prevailing wind mm -hmm. and we tend to see when it's there to be a tick more you know but it's tough because it does move around and it's never like perfect 8 30 it's no, 8 45 9 o'clock and so on it's always changing yes yes it is and, and and so i think that's an interesting thing for people to listen to and to understand that you're such a detail-oriented person in all this, but then you're trying to break it down in simplistic terms because you're not trying to run all these numbers in your head when you're on the line. Because right. everything you're doing ahead of time is leading up for the most simplest solution sure. to get it on target. And, you know, to change the subject, you know, I have a, what we call a five-star muzzle brake now. Mm -hmm. And my parameters on muzzle brake Brakes. It's it's un, it's a, it's a different brake system than what we previously did. Uh, it still has a trailing locking. Yep. And the, my parameters are obviously I want to reduce recoil, but I don't want to blow gas back on me. Yep. I want to be able to part it off. It's a five port brake. I want to be able to cut four a port off of it if I'm shooting a six sixty because I don't need as much gas. Right. Uh, I want it so that it is an asymmetrical brake, so that means it's blowing more gas with a right end twist gun back out at 10 o'clock. Why? Because that helps me stay on target slightly mm -hmm. better. I want it to be a directional brake. It's blowing right and left and vertical. I don't want to stir up the dust, but I want it where it is tunable. And when I put my brakes on the gun and I run it in all the way because it's tunable, I don't have a stop. It has a trailing nut to okay. lock it and I pour in it correctly, shoot a three-shot group, break it loose, turn it out of revolution, shoot a three-shot group, and do this for five or six revolutions, I promise you that you will find one of those settings that is immensely more accurate than the others. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody who gets a muscle break screwed on hard and fast, <laughs> go ahead and tune why, it. Why don't you beat your head against the wall yes. a little bit? Right, you're working with load development, you know? Now, that's not to say you couldn't work with low development in this, and it gets even better. Mm -hmm. you know? it, which is, I mean, it's it's disturbing the air. That's right. And that bullet's got to fly through, and you're finding that sweet spot where it's less. Or, or you're tuning it harmonically. Yes, to the barrel. One or the other. but And, and it doesn't have to be that the, sometimes the barrel's into the first blast panel, port, and sometimes it's out. But it is, it's amazing what the difference is. So, I would say that, and of course you can torque it, just, you can turn it just a little bit, so if you're shooting, and of course that's the idea about a muzzle brake, reduce recoil, but keep you on target. Yeah. You know, but also, now to make your rifle shoot better. There you and, go. You know, Dale Trout, the guy at uh, yes. Stiller, he talks about the brake, one of my old brakes mm -hmm. that they had on some guy's gun, they were going to shoot a mile event somewhere, and so they lined it up, shot it, 
and they then he's let's try it out one turn and they didn't it's like oh my god yes you know there, there was an old old and it's it's like one of, it's not the, it's not the houston warehouse but it's somebody else and you probably know and i can't think of who it is off the top of my head that was a bench rest guy in the late 60s early 70s who did one of those projects was checking gas dispersion and things like that and was finding exactly what you were saying that the, the gas disturbance with brakes and with different sure. things and there and there's an article out there and like i said it's ancient and it's along the lines of the of that houston warehouse article but it's from somebody else and, I, and unfortunately you know we've had this long weekend in the sun sure. nope. my brain's a little busted but well, well and it even applies also not only apply to muscle brakes mm -hmm. but if you have i have a friend who is you know chase and chase trout and He's got a muzzle brake that fits on a on one of the tub tub guns. Yep, yep. That adapts to a suppressor, and of course he's got a trailing locking nut. So he screwed a suppressor on on top of the brake. Yep. And shot a group, and he says I wasn't overly impressed. And he turned it out of rev. He goes, Now it works. Wow. Now it works. Yeah. So all even the suppressors probably should be tunable. Are tunable. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And you're missing everybody's missing that if they're not doing it. You know? No, it's smart, man. It, it, it's it's so small. It's, I mean, we're dealing in you know fractions of an inch in milliseconds, right. and it makes perfect sense that when you come a rotation out, you're changing the aspect in a noticeable way. Right. You know, so it, it, it it's something for people to play yeah. with, something to look at. And of course, venture shooters a lot of play with barrel tuners. Yes, in there, but we're trying to reduce recoil and reduce noise, let's say, and yet make the rifle shoot better. So why not? you know, ride on their coattails per se. There you, you go. Know? I mean, Phil had in the tent here, he had his F-Class gun in that bench wrist and he had the barrel tuner on that straight taper. Mm -hmm. The end of it was a, was a, a, a graduated barrel tuner. Yes. So th there's the F-Class, you know, they're, they're tuning all that. Yep. So, you know, it's not, it's, it's a matter of time before our field guys and myself and, and, and the steel shooters are gonna start tuning these things in because we're trying to squeeze every in, in sure. ounce of accuracy out as well. I mean, with you, I mean, coming from the, the NRA and high power with that half minute X ring, mm -hmm. you have to be tuned into this small and papers unforgiving completely. And so now it's just a case of when what you're doing spills down to us. And I think it's giving us a head start now with having access to you. Sure. Well, it's, it's just, it's a natural progression because you're trying to, to stretch it and stretch it and mm -hmm. stretch it. And, it, you know, it's kind of like all the very, that's not like the nose ring or an ATR rifle. I mean, you know, and, and John Hollinger wrote an article just this past week about the ATR rifle. Okay. And he said that, yes, it's a bolt-action gun, but in his opinion, it's the first rifle that has changed its design parameters from the old Mauser. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's got conical lugs, it's got a square sear. Of course, we use my T7 T trigger, which right. fits in a Remington, but when you close the bolt on a square sear trigger, then the load is to the rear, holding the cocking piece back. Okay. Any Remington-style trigger out here on the market, or any Remington-style gun, has got an angled cocking piece, 99% of it. So when you close the bolt, of course, I make a trigger for that with an angled cocking piece. Yep. Think about it. You close the bolt, what'd you do? You just loaded the bolt to the top of the receiver. You pushed against it. Right. And I, no matter what your, no matter how good your tolerances are, even, you know, great actions, you're loading it vertically. So that means one lug is touching a little bit different spot than the mm -hmm. other, even if the one and one may not be touching in the top edge and one's touching the bottom corner. And so right. if you turned around, the simplest thing to do, and I've talked to to Defiance about it more than once, 
is to cut a square sear on cocking piece on your Remington action or Remington style action. There you go. You cut it square. You got to have the right trigger though, because of the trigger that, that right. pivot where it pivots, you know, a Remington won't work. Mm -hmm. It'll lock up. Yes. Because there's it doesn't have a an hinging front section. It doesn't hinge off the back. It hinges off the front. Right. But if you have some of the triggers uh, that we do, like like a T7 tree, it hinges off the back. If we go down the road on triggers, and we talk about two-stage triggers, because I'm a big fan of a two-stage trigger. Me too. Right? I'm, I'm religious with them. The, the old Onshoots 64s, I'm sorry, the old Onshoots 54s, all had a steel housing in the 70s and the 80s. Mm -hmm. the 70s, and, the, and they were really smart, because they used about 95% of the same parts to make a single-stage trigger, to make a two-stage trigger, and to make a set trigger. Well, guess what? When Malcolm Cooper, God rest his soul, made his AI gun, who'd he copy? On shoots. On yep. When Grunig and Elberger made their fantastic trigger, who'd they copy? On shoots. Yeah. When I made my trigger, yep. guess who I copied? On shoots. And it's one of my favorite. The yeah, round, yeah. I love that trigger. Because because it, it it's workable, and of course there's loads on the sears. That's the thing, if you pour dirt, or you pour powder, or you freeze water mm -hmm. in a in a trigger like a jewel. Yes, quits working. Absolutely. And if you do it in one of those particular triggers we just mentioned, and you pull on a couple of times, it clears itself. Yes. Whatever it is, well, because there's loads on the sears, and so consequently, uh, and of course, a two-stage trigger is is it's easier to shoot, in my opinion, and it's obviously the safest trigger because I, because the sears are way overlapped till you take up the first stage. Right. I tell people I like it because I can marry my finger to the trigger and I get that really good uh, trigger control purchase with it and then if I change my mind, I got no penalty. That's right. You know, so I can come back on here and I can make sure that that's a perfect position for me and then I can break that shot. So I really like them. And of course, keep in mind that a true two-stage trigger, when you take the sear up and you let off the trigger, it resets itself. Right. There are triggers on the market that you take up the first stage and they do not reset Yeah, themselves. the U versus set trigger That's that right. way. And that to me is not my idea yeah. of an ideal set. What, what John did is he, you have to use the safety to reset it. Which is the problem, and that's where some people don't understand that he's more of a set trigger because once you take up that first stage, if right. you come off of it, it's dead now. Right. And then the only way to bring it back to life is to safe it and then bring it sure. back to fire. But that's why you have loads on the sears in those particular triggers I mentioned. So they'll reset themselves. So yes. they'll clear themselves of debris. Mm -hmm. And yes, you can, you know, and, and of course, Ashbury International, they're a the very defining group of people yes. on building what they build and they use a T7 T trigger because we can you can make it weigh three or four pounds right. and a lot of their clientele wants a three or four pound trigger when you set it up right it feels like it breaks up on a pound yeah. you know my Ashbury has a T7 in it that's yeah. how I use it yeah. right exactly or, or you can make it weigh ounces you yeah. know yeah but but unlike some like the AI triggers pretty much you get what you got it makes a good trigger but you get what you got mm -hmm. now they have the comp one now Okay. They, they, they came out with a comp trigger. I've been traveling so much, I haven't been able to go get hands on it, but right. just this last month, AI came out with a new trigger that's a competition trigger that so lets so them, yes, more adjustability than sure. ever before, sure. and simple adjustability, right. because it, people would mess the old AI triggers up by trying to adjust them incorrectly, sure. and what they did is they've kind of cleaned this up. Now, I haven't gone hands on with it, but I've got enough of the information and people using it, and they love it. 
but AIs finally stepped sure. up with a new competition trigger for their rifle, and it only works in their rifle. Well, a properly, a, a properly designed two-stage trigger, you sh you're able to decide, obviously, the first stage weight and the second stage break, mm -hmm. but you can also determine how much first stage travel you want. Yes. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a fitted suit. How does it, what do you like? Exactly. You know, you want about, you want a hundred thousandths of movement or you want two hundred, you know? And then of course when the trigger breaks it has a typically a little bit of free movement to the rear mm -hmm. so if you have to snap the trigger or jerk the trigger you're not disturbing the rifle that's the theory right basically. you uh, don't want to bury it to the wall but if you do go past a little bit that free movement's not right. going to be a penalty on right, you right and so and, yep. and then i'm a big guy on trigger shoes and of course the way mm -hmm. i design mine mine is movable fore and aft yep as well as reversible so you can have a curved trigger or you or can straight. have a straight trigger and I prefer a straight trigger, but and and a lot of pistol shooters. You look at a lot of the really good pistol shooters. They've got a straight 1911 trigger. Yes, it's vertical up and down. Yes, because it doesn't matter where you're hitting it. You're getting the same sort of feel. You know. No preference. Yeah, preference is it. You know, that's why we. That's why we're all different. Hey, absolutely. Know? I mean, I, I you know, it, it, it's it's one of these things. That, I mean, we are so different. We little kids in the class here today coming up. And, and you know, you see them trying to wrap around and it's like, we want to bring that stuff to them and we want to make sure that it fits, but everybody's different in the class, the variety of people that come through. So it's not a one size fits all and being able to adjust in one product is, is, is a big plus in my opinion. Like I said, flip it if you like it, go the other way. It still gives you the two stage, all the adjustability you need. Your adaptive rifle, it's it's going in any direction the per person wants to go, and it's one solution that 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 can set them up for success where they don't have to chase every rifle, every action, right. every trigger, every. I mean, because there's too much nowadays. There's, I mean, in a way, we're being flooded with so much stuff, and every day it's like, well, what do you think of this action? What do you think of this? One? What do you think of that one? I'm like. Well, what does it do different than the other one? That's right. He's got a different name on it, you know? And, and so I, I just find that a, a, a smart way to go for people who are interested in long-range precision rifle and but aren't there to invest their life in it. Not everybody's working the job like you and I might be. Right. And so if you can give them something that solves all these problems in one product, they win. Sure. So. And, you know, if, if you look, everybody who's owns a rifle out here that's shooting a bolt gun and a PRS or, PRS or an ELR or whatever, it's probably got an AR-15 mm -hmm. variant, okay? And if you look at the stock and the setup on an AR-15, you can put your face wherever you want. And so if you give somebody the option, they typically end up, a lot of times, with their nose very close to the charging handle. Yes. Okay? And most of these other, the chassis guns and all this stuff, they've got a great big gap where the bolt works, mm -hmm. and you cannot put your face up there because there's dead airspace. Right, right. And of course, the AT, the adaptive target rifle lets you move your face further forward because the bolt works Inside. underneath. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the uh, small ball prone shooters, which there's not many anymore, but where did they end up with their face? They had a little bitty short stroke in 22. They were way forward. Yes, they're just flipping. Yeah, shoot, shooting prone. Now, yeah. obviously, shooting standing up or something, you're going to pull your head back a little bit. Um, but keep that in mind. If, if you're trying to build positions or you're practicing or you're using gun to gun to gun, you'd make an easier transition from an adaptive target rifle to an AR-15 platform and vice versa, as opposed from a, a, an AR-15 to a, a, a rifle that has dead airspace because the bolt's cut. Yeah.
Yeah. Anyway, something like that. No, that's awesome. This is a this is a master class for people who don't realize. We're coming on the 50 minute mark, so we're gonna call it real soon. I'm gonna let David get in. Well, trying to get the AC. I gotta shower up and head up to Atlanta. But no, this has been a master class for people, and I really appreciate you doing this and sitting down with me. Let me come in your RV and everything. Sure. Yeah, this was a fun weekend, right? What did you think of just overall the, well, the expo? It was really nice. A lot of people, a lot mm -hmm. of interest. Yep. The weather was pretty darn good. Yes. The, we missed the hurricane. We missed the hurricane. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was watching every well, day, right. like three yeah. days up. Like, am I going to make my flight or am I not going to make my flight? Am I going to get home or not get home? You drive across though. You have the big I, I rig, so right, right. So it was a, it's, it's a good haul. You yes, know, we'll it is. We'll be back home in a couple of days, but you know, Frank, thank you very much for the opportunity to visit with you mm -hmm. as usual. And uh, you know, any of the stuff that you're looking for, you can find it uh, on the Superior Shooting site. Yep. DavidTuck.com. There you go. And uh, or check look at us on the Facebook page. No, I always appreciate you you letting me take up your time and you giving yeah. me your time and, and educating me on all this stuff. And and this just helps me down the road with you know to educate the next person sure. you know I'm passing on the things I learned from you and, and what you're talking about and saying hey why don't we look at this direction instead of constantly doing the same thing we've been doing over and over again I mean you're such a detailed orientated person with that but then you know doing your prep work in order to simplify it and then and, and then just being able to focus on making that shot which I think people should appreciate that yeah. well, thank, Frank, you. thank you thank you you bet yep have, have a good one